0: Acts chapter 20 and it's exciting as we work our way through the book of Acts and hopefully I'll be able to share with you uh, some of the some of the neat things in the timeline of of Paul and his ministry and and where and when things were written and put together as we take a look uh, this morning at what the Lord has for us but really the beginning of Acts chapter 20 what that chapter is really about to me it's about encouragement in fact it's going to start with encouragement in verse 1 and when we get to, to verse 12, it's going to finish with encouragement. The word is uh, paracleo. It's uh, the same word from which we get the word uh, the paraclete, which is the word for the Holy Spirit. Why do we call the Holy Spirit? He's the comforter. The comforter. Uh, the verb form of it is to encourage or to comfort. Paraclesis. And, and as we look at it, what we're gonna see, I think, is a lot of the heart of Paul. If we're, if we're willing to kinda of check out what he's got going on, it's about how he can encourage people. How he can encourage people in their faith. How he can encourage people in their study. How he can encourage people in their walk. And as we go through, I think if we'll have eyes to see, that's what we'll see. I mean, that's really the impetus behind a, a New Believers class the, uh, or a Foundation of the Faith course or a discipleship uh, class that we have on Tuesday nights or whatever, every Bible study, every purpose behind getting together. It's just not so we can be busy. We don't need to be busier. we got plenty of things going on in life to make us busy, right? It's to provide an opportunity... For whoever is able to plug in and receive that comfort, that encouragement, that strength in their walk and in their talk and in their life, that we might more rightly reflect the truth behind what our life is supposed to portray. You see, what our life is supposed to portray as disciples or believers in Jesus Christ is that we walk like He walked. That that our life reflects, albeit in a uh, imperfect way, the the glory of Jesus Christ, who He is, what He did, what He accomplished in His life, that we would um, be able to reflect that glory, much like the the moon reflects the glory of the sun. It's not the same glory; it's not as bright, but that light that comes off some nights. In fact, last night I don't know. You guys look at the moon last night? I don't know if it was a moon or a UFO, but something went by my window. I thought it was the moon, but I was kind of asleep when I looked out. But it was super bright. It was so bright, I almost pulled the shade because I thought, man, it's it's not dark in my room no more. The moonlight is shining in. And really, that's what we want. That's what we want in our life as we uh, walk the walk that Christ lays out for us, that we reflect that light, the glory of Jesus in our lives and the things that we do. And so as we look at Acts chapter 20, it's my it's my prayer and hope that as we see the things that he has there and some of the things that aren't there, but that you'll see kind of are, um, we'll see that heart of, of Paul to encourage. Let's read together. We'll pick it up in Acts chapter 20, verse 1. It says, now after the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself and he embraced them and he departed to go to Macedonia. Now when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece. And he stayed there three months. And when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia. Also Aristarchus and Secondus of the Thessal- uh, Thessalonians, G- Gaius of Derby, uh, Timothy, Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. Now these men, going ahead, waited for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together, And in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and fell on him and embraced him, saying, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him yet. Now when he had come up and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even until daybreak, he departed. And they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank You for this time we can come before You. Father, we thank You for the truth of Your Word. God, we want to just be able to grasp and fully understand, Lord, the things that You lay out for us here. And God, that we might see uh, th- those things which are in the gaps, Lord, that uh, that will speak to us. God, and we just... Uh, We want your name to be glorified as we come this morning that we may be exhorted and encouraged to be exhorters and encouragers, to bring comfort, Lord, because we are reflecting the comfort that you have given us. God, I pray that you would be glorified and open our eyes, open our ears. Lord Jesus, we lay this time in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. When we come to the journey, the journey Paul's Third missionary journey is coming to a close, and he's on his way to Jerusalem. If you'll remember in uh, in chapter 19, just a little to the left of where we are, in verse 21, I want you to realize that Paul's not running because of the riot. He's not fleeing because of issues in his life. In verse 21, it said, When these things were accomplished, as Paul's teaching and preaching, Paul purposed in the Spirit, when he passed through Macedonia and Achaia." To go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So the Spirit had already laid on Paul's heart that he needed to go to Jerusalem. He had a very specific purpose and reason to go to Jerusalem that we'll see, and we see throughout every epistle that he wrote. During this time frame, all have a common theme in regard to his trip to Jerusalem. So as he's heading there, he knows the Spirit is leading him, And after the riot has calmed down and all that stuff is over that we talked about last week, Paul says, it's time. It's time for me to go on my way. So what he's going to do is he's going to cross the Aegean and he's going to enter into Macedonia. We find him coming into Greece again. And all along the way, he's going to stop at the churches that have been founded and encourage them. He's going to come and bring them the word. He's going to give them an exhortation of endurance if they're struggling. He's going to continue down Greece doing the same thing all the way. And his intent is ultimately to, to sail um, and head down to Jerusalem. But before he can sail, he finds out that there's a plot. The The Jews are after him. And we'll talk a little bit about why the Jews are after him. But there, there's a plot for his life. and He changes some of his plans and he journeys a little further over land. Pauses in Greece for three months And finds himself in Troas. And you might remember Troas. Troas, that's the city where he had the dream. Remember the dream of a man standing in Macedonia saying, Come help us? So kind of the way the journey began is the place where the journey is going to begin to end. And uh, as as Paul does this journey. Now the heart of it, the heart of it we see in verse 1. Look what it says. After the uproar ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself and embraced them. That word for embracing, it carries that same root concept, comforting. That same root concept of encouraging, of exhorting, of saying, Hey, come on guys, you can make it. So he's encouraging the guys there in Ephesus. This is the heart of Paul. And as he's encouraging them, and as he's uh, uh, pressing into them, look what it says then in in verse 2. Not only did he embrace them and depart from Macedonia... But it says now when he had gone over to that region and he encouraged them with many words he came to Greece. He was an encourager. He wanted to encourage, he wanted to exhort, he wanted to to make sure that people were built up wherever he went. Wherever he if he if he spent some time in someone's presence, he wanted to make sure that they were exhorted. We actually can read some of this that same word paracleo. In, uh, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. So if you want to just flip over to the right, it's not very far from where you are. And you'll come to uh, 2 Corinthians after Romans and 1 Corinthians. <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Here's what it says. <clears throat> Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy and the God of all paracleo, comfort, exhortation encouragement the god who provides all those things who comforts us he builds us up god builds us up during our tribulation why so that we might be able to comfort those who are in trouble so God, Paracleo, the part the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, comes upon us to encourage, to build us up in our times of trouble for this distinct purpose that we might then exhort someone else who's going through hard times. That same concept, the same ideal, the paracleo, to, to comfort, to encourage, to come alongside. He says that we would comfort them with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. In the same way. You get the idea. Like a moon reflecting the sun, we're reflecting the comfort that God is showing us. That God is encouraging us with. The way that His Holy Spirit is ministering. We want to be able to minister to others who are in need. It says, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ." Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. The whole purpose is everything we go through in life. We're experiencing the exhortation and encouragement, the comfort of God for the distinct purpose to pass that on. We've all heard of the concept of paying it forward, right? The, 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 blessings that people have, have bestowed on us, if we'll continue to pay that forward, pay that forward, it just keeps going. Well, that, the whole concept of that is originally out of the scriptures, originally out of the gospel, as, as the call from Paul here to comfort. The way Christ comfort you, comfort everyone else. Anyone that you come in contact with. Wherever you might find yourself to bring comfort, exhortation, Encouragement. See, this is what Paul's going to do on his way home and on his way there. While he stayed in Ephesus for three years, when he pauses in Corinth for three months, the whole point and purpose is to encourage, to exhort. That's why we gather together. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some. And so much more now as you see the day approaching. As we see the day of Christ, the day when Jesus will return. We all have a period of time. Every one of us. If we live our lives out from beginning to end, that's our period of time. Maybe we'll have less time, maybe we'll have more time. But we all have that one thing to spend. And Paul's encouragement through Scripture is that we spend it being encouraged by God and encouraging others. Receiving the encouragement that He has and spreading it on. And He he calls us to be exhorters through love and with the heart of a Father. If if you're there in 2 Corinthians, flip over to to, uh, 1 Thessalonians. Just so we can kind of nail down this idea of being an exhorter, an encourager, and a comforter. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 3, same words being used. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. One of the things about exhortation is that exhortation needs to be godly. A lot of people find a lot of books, and they'll get self-help books, or maybe they'll get a self-help video, or or different things, different teachers, different speakers, that want to uh, motivate us. But in the Psalms... David would write, blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. And there's a purpose behind that. Even though much of that counseling might be good in in human terms, it's still ungodly. It does not have its foundation, its motivation in the Word of God, in the Spirit of God, and in in the Word of Truth. And we can maybe gain things on it, but the Word of God tells us, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He lays out for us in First Thessalonians 2, verse 8. He says, So affectionately longing for you, that we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you have become dear to us. You see, the motivation for the exhortation was from love. Love is naturally poured out in the life of a believer who's following Jesus Christ, whose life is uh, following the example of the Lord. Jesus said they will know you by what? They're going to know you by the way you love one another. And the fruit of the Spirit is love. They're going to know you by the way you love each other. We want to love each other. We want to be loving He's, Paul says in First Thessalonians, and he was only in Thessalonica for a little time, he says, listen guys, I'm here because we love you and we want to encourage you. We want to exhort you. So that's the motivation behind it. What's the motivation behind self-help? What's the motivation behind those great motivational speakers that are just a motivational speaker? What's their motivation? Yeah. I have met, I've I never met one who would let you come to their thing for free. I never met one who would who would give you the book or let you call him, but Paul was that way because his motivation was love through the Spirit, a fruit of the Spirit in the life of a believer poured out in encouraging others. In verse ten, in chapter two of First Thessalonians, he says, "You are witnesses." And God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. Well, he was motivated by love and the heart of a father, right? A heart of a father wanting to see his children do well. The same heart that we see in the life of God as God looks at us and and wants to see us do well, you see in the heart of Paul, like the moon, not perfect, but a reflection of the glory of the sun in the life of Paul. The same way in our lives, like the moon, not with the full glory of the sun, but reflecting the glory of Jesus Christ, because we too should have the heart of a father for those who are young in the faith. For those who are struggling, for those who need encouragement. That was the motivation that Paul had. Listen to what he said to them. He said "He said um, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Walk worthy. Wow, what an incredible concept. That was the encouragement that he gave. Walk worthy of equal weight with. That's what the word means equal weight we're, we're seeing the glory reflecting the glory in our life that's the concept that we see working in the life of paul if we turn to the right first thessalonians chapter four verse one he says this finally brethren we urge and exhort in the lord jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us you ought to walk and to please god The exhortation again to walk, to live a life pleasing to the Father. We talked a couple weeks ago about the concept of the fear of God, and that the fear of God does not enable. I cannot, if I have an appropriate fear of the Lord, that reverence, awe, respect, and sometimes terror quaking fear, I cannot just sin lightly. I cannot just say, God will forgive me. What's the big deal? It's not a spirit of fear that God's given us. No, He just wants us to have the fear of the Lord that leads us to an, an appropriate walk. We look at His reflection. We look at the example of His Son and we want to follow the example. We want to go where He went. What did Jesus say to every one of His disciples? Hey, come follow Me. Right? So what's that say? Come, walk like I walk. Follow my example. Every father, every mother is that example for their children. Whether they want to be or not is irrelevant. They will follow. They will follow. In verse 10 of chapter 4, Paul writes, And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, continually growing, moving forward, the exhortation and encouragement. In verse 18 of chapter 4, Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Paracleo, encourage each other, build each other up. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, he says, Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. In verse 14 of chapter 5, he says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. All throughout, we see through the epistles, Paul's exhortation, Paul's encouragement. Let's be encouraging. And as this journey begins, if we understand some of the background, we'll really see his heart of encouragement. You see, when we read these these first three verses, four verses, maybe even all the first six verses, it just sounds like he's out for, for a stroll, right? But what you've got to understand is going on at the same time, there's huge tension between him and Corinth. You ever read 1 Corinthians? There was an issue between Paul and Corinth. Apollos had been there. There was a lot of division going on. And that's all happening at this time. Paul writes a letter that he calls the harsh letter. And he gives it to Titus during this time. And Titus goes to Corinth. And as he goes to Corinth, Paul's heart and desire is to receive from Corinth that things are okay, that that things got straightened out, and that relationship's good. He's desiring to be encouraging and to encourage them. And he wants to go there, but he's holding back to wait and see how this letter has been received. We don't see that on the pages here because this is just the traveling manifesto. We actually have to look other places to see it. But in in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, um, he lays out for us, Uh, In verse one, he said, "But I determined this within myself that I would come, that I would not come again to you in sorrow. But if I make you sorrowful, then he who is who makes me glad, but the one who is made sorrowful by me, I wrote to you this very thing, lest when I came, I would have sorrow over those whom I ought to have joy. Having confidence in you all, that my joy is the joy of you all." So he sent this strong letter, and he's waiting to hear back from them. So that he might go and encourage them. During the journey, he's he's working his way through Macedonia, the scripture says. He's encouraging people as he goes along the way. Um, there's a lot of opposition. There's a lot of issues. And so as Paul leaves and as he makes his way back in verse 12 of Second Corinthians chapter 2. It says, furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel... A door was opened to me by the Lord, but I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus my brother. But taking leave of them, I departed from Macedonia. So in this journey, he came to Troas. He began to preach, but he left Troas because he just had this burden. i got to hear what's going on with Corinth. i got to hear what's happening with them. Finally, the Scripture tells us he meets up with Titus who had returned from Corinth. And he brought him news that the letter had been received. We read about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7 it says, For indeed when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside was conflict, inside were fears. Nevertheless, God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the consolation of with which He was comforted in you when He told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. The letter that made them sorrowful made them repent and restored a relationship. That's all happening right now. In just a couple of verses that talk about Paul leaving and going through Macedonia and pausing in Greece. Those are the events that are taking place. Paul's heart breaking over a church is going through a rough time, but his desire to pericleo, to exhort, to encourage, to see them built up, receiving that encouragement from them and the fact that they repented and turned and changed their life, but also looking forward to giving. You'll notice the scripture tells us uh, in Acts 20 verse 2, it says, Now when he had gone over that region and encouraged him with many words, he came to Greece and stayed three months. The place where he stayed three months is Corinth. When he received from Titus the news that everything was good, he went to Corinth. He stayed there with them for three months. What was he doing there? He was encouraging. He was also writing a book of 2 Corinthians and also a book of Romans. He writes during those three months while he's there encouraging with, with them as he's looking for more opportunity to pour out, to be poured out, he stays He pours out his heart. It says then in Acts 20, uh, the the last part of verse 3, it says, And when the Jews plotted against him, he was about to sail to Syria. And that, that plot kind of opens up our eyes to what else is going on. What else is going on? He's encouraging. But everywhere he goes, he's had the same message. About the church at Jerusalem. The church at Jerusalem was poor and struggling and in need. And everywhere he went, he said, Man, if the Lord would lay it on your heart to prepare an offering that I might bring back to Jerusalem so that they could be, what? Pericleo. Encouraged, comforted, built up by your gift. See, when we look at the idea of encouragement, we we see encouragement coming a lot of ways. We see it coming in teaching. We see it coming through the Word of God, and we see it coming through giving. We give. That's that's kind of the heart of Jesus, right? He's got some pretty challenging verses in, in terms of giving. Pretty challenging in terms of wanting to study and understand the full reflection of the sun so that I might reflect that glory of his attitude in giving. He says Give to everyone who asks of you. Wow. You're more than welcome. Matthew five, forty two knock yourself out. Find a reason why you shouldn't. No, you're not going to find it. What you're going to find is Jesus saying, give to everyone who asks of you. If a man bids you to walk with him one mile, go with him two. If he asks for your cloak, give him your tunic also. And by the way, all them verses aren't just talking about brothers. When we give, it also encourages, exhorts. You know, just like we had we, we um we heard David sharing about how they had their uh their deal at what's the name of it? Tell me again. Yeah. Te- Teodora. By the way, I went and it was pretty killer. But anyhow. Um what they felt when people came and visited with them was encouragement, comfort. Right? Reflecting the glory of Christ in a very practical way and giving. Paul's bringing a gift. And as he's bringing this gift, he's got a lot of money with him. He's got a lot of money that he's brought from all the churches of Galatia and Greece and Asia. And he's coming toward Jerusalem and he hears, Hey, there's some, some people after us. The Jews are after us. So he divides the party. Some of the guys go on the boat and go ahead. And he walks. He divides the party so that they're not able to, to in some way attack or rob them and, and gain that offering that he's carrying. That offering of exhortation that he's bringing in. We see this on the page of Scripture because in verse 4 you have a list of names, right? You guys see those names? Everywhere Paul went and received an offering, he also asked them to give uh, an ambassador so that they might be there when the gift was given. And share in that comfort and exhortation with the church in Jerusalem. See, this is Paul's heart as he's going. We read about it in Romans 15. In Romans 15, uh, verse 25, this is what it says. But now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. Where did he write that from? Corinth. At what time? Right in the middle of this journey. He says, I'm on my way to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those... Uh, "...from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual thing, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Therefore, when I have performed this, and I have sealed it to them, this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain." But I know that when I come to you, I will find the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. So he says, as he writing to Rome, the Christians in Rome, he says, I'm going to Jerusalem, then I'm going to come to you, then I'm going to go to Spain. He's got plans, right? He's moving forward. But he says, I'm going to Jerusalem with what? This contribution. This gift that was given, the 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 offering that came. And so the scripture lays out for us the names of those guys in, in verse 4. Uh, Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia, Aristarchus and Secondus of the, of the Thessalonians, Gaius of Derby, Timothy, Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia. This is all the guys from the different missionary journeys that he had, representing the different areas where the churches are founded, where he's bringing the 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 offering together. In uh, in First Corinthians sixteen three, listen to what it says. It says, "When I come, whoever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to." Jerusalem. The Corinthians sent a gift, and he talked about them. We and, and he lays them all out for us. Uh, Sopater Aristarchus and secondus were from the Macedonian uh, areas of the churches. Gaius and Timothy represent the area of Galatia. Tychicus, Trophimus, they were the delegates from the churches of Asia. Each one sending someone to bring this gift. This gift that the purpose of was to encourage the church in Jerusalem and for them to be encouraged by their comfort that they see the gift brings. You see, that's the thing about when we want to live a life of encouraging and lifting up and exhorting and building. So there's a certain joy in that. There's not that same joy in tearing down and destroying but in building, man, there's there's joy, there's excitement that takes place. And we see them doing this very same thing. So it says, these men in, in Acts 20, verse 5, these men going ahead waited for us at Troas. So now they're going back to Troas, again, where the dream came, where it all began. But you'll notice that verse, it says, but we sailed. Oh, there's somebody else there. Do you remember? His name's Luke. In Acts chapter 16, verse 40, Luke was left behind in Philippi. So I know they're sailing, their journey is they're leaving from Philippi. And Luke has joined Paul again. Why? Because he says we, instead of they. We are moving forward. We're going. We sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. So it's after the Passover. They had Passover in Philippi, encouraging the believers. Then they got on a ship and it took them five days to get to Troas. It took them two days to journey the other way, but I shared with you that's because of the wind, right? You remember, the wind blows in one direction, that makes the journey quicker. You have a wind blowing in your face, it makes the journey longer. It's still that way today, only today we have the benefit of what? Motors. You don't have to put a sail up. Can you imagine sailing when the wind is blowing in your face and you've got to go the other way? It's going to take a little longer, right? Five days longer. Why? How, did, what, what was the, how were they powered? By oars. The things come down and you start paddling. Oh, do you ever had to paddle a, a boat? It's bad. There's nothing good about it. We live in the day of motors. Forget the paddles. It makes me nervous. Every time I get in a fishing boat and I see paddles. Why you got paddles? Oh, well, just in case something went wrong. Well, that's not what they mean. They mean, I got stuck out here once and didn't have a paddle. <laughs> Makes me a little nervous. Because I don't like paddling. I'll do it. Because I don't like, you know, perishing in the middle of a lake somewhere because I don't want to paddle and I don't want to swim. So we'll do it. So that's how they did it. It took them five days. It took them longer to get back. But then they came to Troas, and there in Troas they stayed seven days. And in verse 7 it says, Now on the first day of the week, when, what's it say? The disciples came together to break bread. Everyone who gathered together was considered a disciple. Now I'm sure there were times when they gathered, there was unbelievers there. But they were considered a disciple. Why? Why were they there? What was the purpose? To learn about the glory of Jesus Christ, that they might reflect that glory in their walk. So they would gather together. We see the way that the church worshipped as we look here on the pages of this worship service that that he talks about. He said they came together to break bread. That's the Lord's Supper. That's communion. That's koinonia, fellowship. That means to have things in common. So they come together for a period, a time of... Koinonia of of commonness coming together in one place. And Paul was leaving the next day. So this was the last day he's going to be with them. So he spoke to them. He had some words of encouragement. Until midnight. I don't hear no belly aching about, Oh, Jackie, went so long I was late for lunch. I have never took you till midnight. Today will be the first day. We're just going to keep going until the next service comes in. And they're going to be wondering, what in the world is going on? Yeah, nobody's laughing now, huh? (laughs) He spoke till midnight. Now, here's what you want to understand about Sunday service. Sunday wasn't a day off in those days. It was a work day. So they worked the whole day, and they did worship service Sunday evening. Sunday evening, they would come together. They would break bread twice. Now, which one was communion and which one was agape feast? really doesn't make any difference. The idea was, one, they had communion where they, where they came and remembered the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And they shared a meal together. So they didn't have to go home and make a meal and then come. They just all went to church where they had the agape feast, the love feast, which was a potluck. They'd, have that, they'd share in that potluck. And they would have the Lord's Supper as they came together. Every time they came together on Sunday... And that would be Sunday evening. They would, they would participate in the Lord's Supper. They would come together. Now here you have Paul speaking. He's got all these words of encouragement. It has been said that you cannot teach to the head what the seat cannot endure. When people can't sit no more, they stop hearing. But what do we see here at the church at Troas, they knew this was Paul's last time, his last encouragement. They probably, let's say they got started, their, their day would end 6 in the evening, so they'd finish work at 6 in the evening. Perhaps they're there at the church by 7. They parted, Maybe they had a meal first, now it's 8 o'clock. So you see, it's not like 24 hours of teaching, but it is a long teaching session. He's, he's encouraging them. He's trying to give them the last words. It's all, the last time I'm going to see you. I, I got so many things that I want to encourage you in. So he shares with them all the way to midnight. We think we know what house this is. You might say, oh, come on. No, really. We, we think we know what house this is. You see, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is in prison in Rome. And he writes to Timothy, and he asks Timothy for something. He says, Timothy, when you go to Troas, bring me the cloak that I left with Carpus. Bring me the cloak and the books and the parchments that I left at his house. So a lot of people think it was probably at, at, uh, at, at Carpus's house. He had a three-story house. It was a big place. They're up in the top story. It's late at night, they're lighting torches and candles are lit all around them and they're sitting around receiving the study, receiving the word. And as they do so, it says, There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together and in a window sat a young man named Eutychus. Eutychus. That word, young man, that puts his age in early teens or younger. So certainly not over 14, and probably not under 9. This is a kid. He's sitting in the window, trying to listen, and trying to pay attention, and trying to receive, but he's tired. It's a little stuffy in there. There's a lot of people, and let's just face it, sometimes when you're a kid, it's just not all that exciting. So he goes and moves to the window where he can get some fresh air, right? The wind's blowing, and, and of course, when you're a kid, you don't think nothing about it. What's the big deal? So we're on the third story. Why shouldn't I sit hanging out the window? It seemed like a good idea, right? I'm a little sleepy, but I'm sure everything will be okay. I'm bulletproof, right? So he sat there, and, and, and the Scripture tells us as he sat there, And as uh, Paul spoke, he was overcome by sleep. That means it wasn't sudden. He was fighting it. He had the nods. His head was nodding. He was really doing battle, trying to stay awake, but he couldn't do it. He was overcome by sleep. And as Paul continued, and by the way, he's not anywhere close to being done yet. He fell asleep and fell from the third story. And you can imagine everybody running out, right? Just put yourself in his parents' Who are probably sitting in a room. And all of a sudden somebody goes, Oh my gosh, you us fell out the window. And everybody runs down the stairs. And they get outside. and uh, Can you imagine the, the panic, the broken heartedness, the, the morning wail, the Middle Eastern morning wail that would begin to erupt when they looked at his body and knew he was dead. That would be about as unencouraged as you can humanly be, Right? But I love what the Scripture tells us because it says as they, they took him up, he was taken up dead, he's broken. They probably brought him back in the house. The concept of being taken up means that they picked him up and brought him in there on the first story. And the Scripture tells us they took him up. Paul went down, so probably down on the first story, and he fell on him. And he fell on him. If you're a student of the Word of God, that should sound familiar. There are two fellas. Their names sound the same. One is Elijah and the other is Elisha. They were incredible prophets. And both of them raised young men back to life again the same way. They fell on them. They laid on them. They held them. Sometimes more than one time. Three times. Praying, calling on the name of the Lord. I think there's a purpose behind all that. Because really, guys, if you want to raise the dead to life, you got to be in close proximity. In any given day, we find ourselves around the dead all the time, don't we? Well, spiritually dead, certainly. And if we're going to see the spiritually dead raised to life, you're going to have to be involved. It's a little messy. There's no way for you to speak into someone's life without being in close proximity. But if you're in close proximity and you afford yourself the opportunity, you may be the one who gets to lead them to the Lord, like Andrew and taking Peter and anybody else he saw. Come see Jesus. Come see the guy who told me everything I I ever wanted. It's kind of a picture of what we see going on. He's laying there. He lays down on them. And the Scripture says, He said, Do not trouble yourself. For his life is in him. Because God has given him life. He healed the body. Put the broken pieces back together. I imagine there was some deformity. It was Immediately they understood he was dead when they saw him. But after Paul laid on him and life returned to him. Very similar to what we see happening with Elijah and Elisha and then I want you to hear the next verse it says now when he had come up and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while even till daybreak so this didn't even stop them it became intermission maybe snack time perhaps this is when they had the meal or maybe after seeing one raised to the dead they immediately came up and partook of the Lord's supper The body and the blood of Christ remembering the resurrection. It was just after, just seven, eight days after Passover. So it was during that season when they would talk about the resurrection, they come up, partake of the Lord's Supper, and Paul continued to teach. Why? Because it's important, it's vital that we begin to take the Word of God and make it a part of our life. It's not, was not invented. The service and the word and the way that things are taught was not invented to bore you to tears and try to rob you of a couple of hours on a Sunday morning. The purpose was to encourage, to comfort, to translate, to transform our bodies so that we would reflect the sun. So that we would have some of the glory of Jesus Christ flowing through our lives. That's why we open the book. That's why we study the book. That's why we read the book. That's why we have Bible studies all over the place. Not so that you have to go to all of them, but so that you can plug in and be encouraged and be comforted and grow. That your walk day by day by day is reflecting a little more the walk of Jesus Christ every day was so important to Paul. The last night he was there, he taught all night long. Now I want you to think about Paul. He's leaving the next day. He's traveling. And in order that he can stay a little longer, we'll talk about it more next time. He decides to walk to the next port town. Because he can walk to the next port town in about 10 hours. And it'll take the ship a day. So it buys him a few more hours. So he teaches all night into the morning and then decides to walk to the next port. That's how much he wanted to encourage and exhort and comfort and you see that's the love of christ being reflected in the life of someone who actually believes what he reads believes what he says he believes it's reflected in his life right folks we all got stuff going on but this was the attitude of paul this is the attitude that he had he says that when they had eaten and he talked till, till daybreak he departed And they brought the young man in alive and they were not a little comforted. Pericleo, encouraged. The same way it started. With encouragement, it ends. With encouragement. Everywhere Paul went, that was his focus, his desire to bring that encouragement so that there might be growth. That concept of the word pericleo also carries the idea that it's always positive. Now being positive means it's always given to build up, not to tear down. That doesn't mean it's not used to confront. But the concept of the confrontation is to build, not to destroy. Always the attitude, a positive attitude, to to make this happen. And the whole purpose behind it all, and hopefully we're able to see it this morning, the whole purpose behind it all is that we are following Jesus. And that's how we learned Him. Right? When you read the Gospel, Jesus wasn't too busy for people does it say that ever somebody came up to jesus and jesus said i'm, I'm too busy right now go away <laughs> there w- except for like one ex- uh, exception and not really an exception one woman came to him and he said now listen i don't really have time for you i need to be talking to to the jewish people and she was a gentile and you remember she said should i he said should i throw the scraps to the dogs i'm trying to give this stuff to my brothers and and she said, well, even a little bit of the crumbs fall from the master's table. And Jesus said, man, I have never seen such faith. He, he was just pulling out her faith. He wasn't really trying to push her away. He was drawing out the faith that she had in her life. Jesus does that to us still today, right? When we come together in church and we're challenged by, an object, by a concept or an idea, it's to draw out our faith. Not to be discouraged, to draw it out. To say we can experience the same things that we read about in the book of acts but what we can't experience out of the book of acts or what you won't see in the book of acts is the attitude of complacency that's just sitting around waiting to be spoon-fed concepts and ideas with without ever taking those things and then doing them if we're going to grow we can't just be hearers only we gotta be doers also, taking the word of encouragement and spreading it around. Amen? Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Way before midnight. Way before midnight. <laughs> <laughs> Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you that we can study your word, that your word is alive, and there's so much here, God. And if we want to be students, God, and we want to know and we want to see. Lord, all we have to do is read carefully. It doesn't doesn't require anything else. It just requires a willingness to say, man, I want what you have for me, Lord. I want to receive from you the comfort by which I might comfort someone else. That I don't just want to receive it for myself. I want to give it away. I want to look for opportunities to share the Word of God and bring encouragement and exhortation. I want to look for opportunities to, to just be able to give and bring encouragement as a result of the gift. I want to look for opportunities to follow the example that you lay out before us. That example all the way through the section of Scripture of encouraging wherever you go encouraging looking for an opportunity to strengthen to build up because lord we we bring people to the to the throne of Jesus Christ and we we pray a prayer for them and we say now say these things and they they ask for forgiveness lord and they cling to your name and they pray that you will become their lord and savior and forgive their sins and they begin a journey but we can't stop there that's just the beginning that's just the starting the starting line life life is the rest as we follow christ and we learn christ it's a lifestyle it's not a moment in time an instant where nothing else ever happened it's a change of life following jesus And as we follow you, you encourage us to help other people along their journey because we're all in different places in our journey. But we look for those who are struggling or who are weaker that we might come alongside and build up and stir up and encourage. God, I pray we as your church would just hear not only your call to follow you, not only the call to reflect the glory of the only begotten Son of the Father who is full of grace and truth, but also, Lord Jesus, that we would reflect that comfort that you give us to others and encourage them along our journey. God, that the church could be what she was once, what she's capable of being any day and every day, whenever God's people say, I will be a man or woman of the book. If it's here, I want to do it. I don't want to look for an excuse or a reason why I shouldn't have to. I just want to do it. I want to make my life, my lifestyle, my worldview, the worldview of Jesus Christ. So that I might reflect the glory of Him wherever I go, that I would walk worthy, that I look like Him, that I talk like Him, that I learn day by day, that I'm comforted day by day, that I'm encouraged day by day, not only by my brothers and sisters but by the Holy Spirit and by the Lord God Himself as He ministers comfort into my hurt and where I fall short and where I struggle. Because every day He says, My mercies are new every morning. My forgiveness is available for every failure. Now pick it up. Stand up. And begin again. And encourage and comfort and exhort from now until the time we see Jesus' face. And when we do, we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Now enter into your Master's happiness, into that perfect rest found in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Until then, may we be following jesus lord we pray that your glory would be in this place lord god that you would encourage build up and strengthen your church that we might accomplish what you're asking us to do we give you all the praise and all the glory for it in jesus name we pray amen